With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. Boy, a lot has transpired since we talked one week ago. Iowa football program has held its annual Iowa City Media Day. And then one day later, Iowa had its kids' day practice. It was well attended. Iowa didn't have that big spring game at Holabaloo this year because of uh, work that was going on in the stadium relative to new turf. So a lot of people got their first chance to see Iowa football players on the field in person for the first time, well, since last November was the last time they were in Kinnick Stadium, at least in front of the public. And, uh, you know, Steve, each year often we go through Rob Howe's observations uh, from Hawkeye Nation. Uh, as he was there, you and I were not. And let's dive into to some of these. Big position for Iowa every year. It's big either because it really does well and helps the team's defense first, offense, commit no sin philosophy, or uh, because it's, it's not good, and that's the punting game. Last year, Colton Rastetter uh, wasn't a great year. And the year before, you know, Colton Rastetter struggled. Let's, that's pretty safe to say. Um, Michael Sleep Dalton is a grad transfer coming in. Clearly, he enjoyed the better day. And I don't think it could be understated just how significant the punter is for Iowa's football program. Now, in some circles, that's a, that's a joke. It's a punchline. But at Iowa, it's pretty significant. Can it be both? I mean, it's, you know, it... Uh... <laughs> I, you, first of all, you're right. You're you're right to begin there because if you're gonna if you're gonna you're sitting there going, dude, you're starting a podcast off by talking punter. No one in the history of sports talk radio or podcast has ever done that. That's what you're thinking. Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And, but but here's the thing, though. I'm also thinking it's it's exactly where to begin because when you're when you're gonna play a, a style of football that. Um, gives you very little margin for error, <clears throat> pardon me, and is, and is predicated on forcing your opponents to take the initiative to make the error, then if you're going to do that, I mean, if you're going to play 21 to 17, 24, 20, uh, 17, 13, every single week, if that's what you're going to do, and the numbers bear out, that's pretty much what Iowa is going to do. I think you and I did this last year in, in the middle of a podcast. We, we, did the research a couple of years ago and, and found that Jake Rudock and CJ Bethard, it was like within a point and a half per game is what Iowa scored offensively with either one of them at quarterback. Do you remember that? We did that a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So since we know that's what they're going to do, um, you know, if, if, if you're giving up all kinds of hidden yardage in the punt game, then yeah, you know, well that matters anyway. You know, the, the old adage, you must be sound in the kicking game. I mean, that matters anyway. But it, it probably matters more here than at any program in the Power Five that has any semblance of expectation, just because of the way Iowa plays. Yes, indeed. 
Yes, indeed it does. And, you know, this is, it's, it's just a position that w when Iowa's really good, typically this is an area that's also really good. Because Iowa's playing chess, and I'm not saying they're playing chess in the analogy that they're outsmarting everyone else. But I don't know, if, do you play chess? I do play chess, yes. Okay. So oftentimes you are giving up. Certainly you have your pawns go out and do the work, but sometimes you'll float that you'll float that uh that knight out there and somebody gets a little greedy and they start playing offense. Chess is not a game of offense often. It's a game of defense. It's a game of setting things up. And Iowa plays that way. They'll give up some pieces on the board in order to win a game on their terms, to dictate the terms of the game. It's Ference is the grand master going up against Bobby Fisher. And he's willing to give up a few pieces in order to keep it a 21-17 game because he knows he can't beat Bobby Fisher and Bobby Fisher's record 11-move win at, at, a, at a world national tournament back in the day. Didn't realize I was up on my chess games, did you? I actually watched that one play out. So Did you really? I did. Yeah. I, I, watched I, had, a, I, had, I watched a video of it. I had the IBM computer at about four to one, but you go ahead. <laughs> but at any rate, punter, it's, it's a big part of it. Punt is not a four-letter word in Iowa football. And punting is winning is has been used so No, just often. stop right there. Just stop right there. Stop it. Punting is winning. Stop. Drop, Drop the, the mic. mic and walk off. Up. Yes. Yeah. Punting is winning. Well, I, I wanted to keep going so you didn't think I came up with that. That, that, is, a, uh, that is a widely spread oh, uh, meme, if you will, on Iowa Twitter. Okay. Punting is winning. Oh, hell yeah. If I had to come up with that, that's a Costanza walk-off shot right there. No doubt about it. Um, Amir Smith, on the other side, Amir Smith-Marset and Nico Regani lining up as number one punt returners. I don't bring up the punt return. I mean, obviously the punt return game is big. I mean, Amir Smith-Marset might be the most dangerous returning kickoff returner in the country. Um, he has a chance, if he continues the average that he has, to be the most the, the best kickoff returner in Big Ten history on average. He's on pace for that right now. Um, Nico Regani is somebody whose name has come up over and over and over since the fall. And he was on display again this past Saturday. I've seen some videos of him. He's not going to beat Amir Smith-Marset or Tyrone Tracy in a straight-ahead um, sprint, per se. He's not slow, but he's someone in that quick area, that slot, that New England Patriots slot. The Iowa's leading receivers the last few years have come out of that position. He might have the quickest, best quick twitch, close area quickness burst that Iowa has had in that position in the last five or six years. And that position has been very, very productive. That's a key. I mean, that's not something Iowa's historically had a lot no. of or are quick twitch guys. I mean, you know, Iowa's had plenty of speed guys, but plenty of guys in the NFL, maybe not necessarily at the wide receiver position, but you can have that straight, a lot, straight, straight line speed. Doesn't necessarily tell me though, how quickly you can get open, how quickly you can get separation. So, you know, quick twitch guy for Iowa at receiver, you know, that's a collection of, of phrases that you would 
type in <laughs> words that have not been used together. Yeah. You know, you know, I, the other day I, I saw, so I've got up the, uh, for church on Sunday morning. And the first thing I saw on Twitter is somebody had posted, you woke up in the year 3000, I guess they were having a, a Jonas brothers flashback from that song. Uh, if you woke up in the year 3000, what would you Google search? What's the first thing you would do search for on Google? And I put in Detroit Lions Super Bowl. Now that I think about it, I'd probably type in, based on this conversation, Iowa receiver quick twitch and, and just see how many results come up. At least now we have one. Yes, the unicorn has been spotted, indeed. Um, Tyler Linderbaum. You know, we sit here talk about Iowa's tackles really good. The battle for guard, uncertain and unfinished. But how about that kid playing center? Tyler Linderbaum, second year in the program, and last year he was a defensive lineman. And Ference iterated that pretty much he's the clear-cut starter at center. Very, very important position everywhere. Incredibly important at Iowa calling out those, those offensive line calls and zone scheme calls. Uh, Rob Howe saying that he looks solid in terms of blocking, but he did struggle some with snaps in the shotgun. But that is Iowa going into the season with basically a guy who never played center before at the, uh, at the college level. And last year during the fall coming in as a true freshman, he was a defensive lineman. And he's going to be calling a lot of signals on the road. You know, I, I, I keep I, – I hate to keep going back to that well, but it's, it's, it's an abnormally difficult road environment. And, and a lot of those are road games against teams that are, that are going to play very good defense by their traditional standards or historical standards. I mean, he's got a, he's got a road date in Ames and what will be a sellout raucous crowd there. And – you know, I, I think Iowa State, by their standards, has a historically good defense. Uh, you're going to go on the road to Michigan for Don Brown, who has been the coordinator at Michigan for three years, and in all three years, the lowest his team has finished in total defense nationally is third. That's the lowest they finished in three years. I mean, last year, they gave up over 100 points. How far ahead were they of the rest of the country? Last year, they gave up over 100 points in their final two games against Ohio State and Florida and still finish top 20 nationally in scoring defense, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? So you're going to go on the road there. You're going to go on the road at Northwestern. I think this is the best front seven on defense Northwestern has had since Pat Fitzgerald played there. You have Patty Fisher. He could be a first-round pick. You have Joe Gaziano. I mean, he's a terror off the edge. You know, we've seen Northwestern play solid defense, but we're not used to seeing them have NFL first-day draft picks at middle linebacker, and Patty Fisher wasn't even their leading tackler last year. And we're not used to seeing, you know, talking about Northwestern has tears coming off the edge. That's kind of not the way they play. They, they kind of play, a, you know, a positioning style of defense. So we could go on. We've done this all with the road schedule. Wisconsin with that 3-4 angling defense that has given Iowa's offense fits for years now. So that's a tall chore. I'm not worried at all about how he's going to stack up physically. Um, for him to get switched over – and to be anointed the unquestioned starter this early in his career, given the track record of the guy making those calls, and, and given what Iowa's strength and conditioning program has proven it can produce, you know, for as long as you and I have known each other, I'm not worried about that at all. 
But when you get into the games and when you're in, a, when, when, and you're in those road environments, and if there's one miscall, one miscommunication, it can blow up the timing of an entire play and an entire snap. Those are the areas that I would be concerned about because, you know, it's not the same as left tackle. It's a position that, you know, left tackle is always going to get picked higher in an NFL draft than center. But you can put a guy out there who doesn't have a lot of experience, and if he's athletically dominant, he might get beat by a guy coming off the edge who's really good the first couple times he sees a move, a swim move, a spin move, a, a, a bull rush, et cetera. But you get to the second or third quarter, you've seen that a few times now. All right. And so as long as your conditioning is there and your, your concentration level is where it needs to be, you can make adjustments. Uh, you know, Tyler's going to see things in all of those games he's never seen before. And you can show them on film, but it ain't the same thing when they're all out there playing and in, in, in live action. And so I think that will be something to watch as the season progresses for the Hawkeyes. Rob Howe saying he really liked what he saw from starting receivers Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset. Brandon Smith, I mean, I look at him, and I, I just think back to Mo Brown, just a just chiseled out of granite. Really had a huge year relative to growth last season. Uh, a guy that can go up and fight at the high point. Uh, real good sideline fade target, big guy, strong guy, uh, probably needs to be in that 40 reception range at a minimum this year. And Amir smith said he can take the top off a of defense. And having a guy like him, if he can be consistent, make the makeables, and hit a few home runs in the first three, two, three games of the year, that's going to create a lot of additional space for the underneath crossers, for the Nico – uh, Reganis and the Tyrone Tracy's, the quick twitch, the quick twitch underneath. But I was, I mean, I saw some videos. I like how they look, but I, you know, Rob is Rob's Rob doesn't blow smoke up your skirt. Never has. And he never no. will. No. And f to see Rob talking about Iowa starting receivers in such glowing terms, I'm really optimistic about that. Well, I tweeted out on the bigger 10 account this morning. I've been, I've read this feature that Rob has done every year. Um, before he even came to Hawkeye Nation when he was on his own. I've always read this feature every year. It's by far the most optimistic version of this I can ever recall reading from him. And I think th these receivers, are, to put it in a, in a fuller context, are a big reason why. Now, one of my three rules for fall camp news is to remember that everything is a zero-sum game because you're only playing each other. So if one unit, so if your receivers are dominating, that would typically mean that's not great news for your secondary. The ideal situation is you want give and take, you know, throughout the course of a camp because everybody knows what is coming. The, the, the surprise factor is not on the table. You've already gone, you know, 15 practices in the spring, not counting how many times you might have played against these same guys in seasons past, depending on what your class distinction is. And then you throw in how far you are into this particular camp. So in general, these are zero-sum games. But I would qualify that in this case with two things. One, Iowa has a history the last few years of being able to rebuild on the fly in the secondary and finding guys that we didn't really know anything about before the season and turning them into NFL draft picks. That's number one. And then number two, I'm familiar enough with Rob's work to know he's not – 
because he's not uh, a, a sunshine pumper, um, he's not going to get pumped like that. I mean, he's not get, He's going to recognize that um, he's going to need to see. He understands what I just said. So if he is singling out the receivers, that tells me that he sees things from that unit. He's not typical, or he's not. He, he doesn't typically see from an Iowa Hawkeye football team. And you know what, though, they're going to probably have to be that good or better, given the level of playmaker and weapon that Iowa lost at tight end. They're still going to be good at that position. It's it's a landmark position in this program. But there is simply no way you don't take a precipitous step back when you lose two first-round draft picks at that position. So those receivers are going to have to be every bit that good. They're going to have to be. It's probably more important this year than any other um, that they are that this this is a season that they as a as a unit take a step forward. So. Um... Rob talking about uh, Iowa's defensive variety. Obviously, a 4-3 is still going to be um, a part of things, but they went 4-2-5 a lot last year. And when they went 4-2-5, Jimon Colbert and Kristen Welch were the two linebackers that stayed on the field. I really, really like what I saw from Colbert last year when he was in. He, he It just reminded me of, oh, I can't remember if the guy's name was Buell or what his name was from Kansas State going, I don't know, probably back 15, 20 years now. Uh, an undersized guy, looked more like a defensive back, but he played linebacker for them, could cover a lot of space, hit like a truck. And that's what Colbert reminded me of, a guy that could get out, he could cover, but he also was really, really solid and run support. And it's going to be fascinating to see how much they lean on that, you know, four two five cash, whatever it is that they call it this year. Is it going to be 70-30? Is it going to be 80-20? What are they going to do whenever they play against Wisconsin? Wisconsin goes seven offensive linemen. Uh, you know, a lot of people were, are still doubting Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Is he really going to run this offense? Is he really going to give it up? And I'm like, yeah, he's – I mean, we're this far into the season. It'd be, you know, it'd be like coaching, you know, suicide, if you will, to all of a sudden change now. So they're not changing. And I don't know that Iowa's going to go back and forth either. You don't spend all that time in spring and then in fall camp if you're not going to do something. So it'll be fascinating to me to see what wrinkles they have when they're going up against the likes of Wisconsin from this 425. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I played, I've got the 2019 rosters downloaded for NCAA football 2014, the last year they made the game. Oh my gosh, you're <laughs> still doing that? Oh yeah, this is what this is how I pass time in the offseason, man. Yes, absolutely. Um, keeps me out of trouble during my, uh, during my download time late at night, if you know what I'm saying. So, um, I'm I'm on week two of the season and in this schedule, Iowa and Iowa State is week two, which is kind of what it normally is. I'll tell you this, man, I couldn't block Christian Welsh in that game if my life depended on me. Now, Mm, that that is a good harbinger for the year. Yeah. Yeah. He was about the only thing that went well for Iowa in that game. I mean, but, but he was he was absolutely unblockable. Now, you know, whatever you think of Iowa's offensive style, though, I mean, Phil Parker has shown since he took over for Norm, he's done a phenomenal job of uh, flexibility, versatility, uh, making adjustments while never really truly abandoning the foundation that Norm established here. But, you know, whether it's the Raider package or, or this 425 nickel look, uh, kind of perma-nickel look that, you, that more and more teams – are, are playing now in response to a, a lot of the spread offenses that right. are out there. And, and maybe now that third safety 
you know, it, it's, it's kind of emblematic in a way, maybe not as aggressive, but it's really what Don Brown invented when he was at Boston College, where you create a permanent nickel linebacker safety, a guy who's about 220 pounds. So if you need him to play uh, in the slot against a receiver, he can. Uh, if you need him to, you know, to be there at the point uh, as an undersized, undersized outside linebacker, if a team wants to run out of that spread, he can. You're seeing more and more teams around college football do this. It was effective for Iowa at times last year. So I, I think um, I, I don't have any questions there at, at all. Now, I mean, now, you know, you and I talked about this in the offseason. I, I, I know the way fans think, because I'm one too. Well, Epinesa had 10 and a half sacks. He didn't even start a game last year. Because yeah. the way fans work is you start prorating things, right? And you don't realize that you also reach the point of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. Because what Epinesa is going to be asked to do this year is hold the point against the run. Um, you know, uh, he didn't have to face a lot of that last year. Nope. He, was, he was put in situations where it was, hey, pin your, pin your ears back, go get the quarterback, go wreak havoc. He's going to have to be a three-down player this year. And, and it, now, so if he gets ten and a half sacks this year, particularly against the schedule they're playing and the additional duties he'll have to perform, I'll be far more impressed than I was by the ten and a half sacks he had last year. And, and I think now you're really talking about a top five NFL draft pick because you're talking about a guy that can play three downs with his hand in the ground. And there just aren't a lot of those uh, that come out of college these days. Either you're either a guy that is a strong side defensive end um, who, you know, uh, you've got contain on the run. And if they get five or six sacks from your great, uh, or you're a guy that is kind of your tweener pass rusher and you probably get run over in, in, in the NFL of the 70s and 80s. But in today's NFL, where you pass to win, you can be a 10 to 15 sack guy and, and be an all pro. You know, you'll right. see a lot of guys that are three down linemen, hand in the dirt. That's Joey Nick Bosa territory, if he can pull that off. So, um, but that notwithstanding, I, I mean, just based on their tradition, history, what they've established there, what Phil Parker uh, has continued after Norm, I'm really not concerned about that side of the football at all. I'm just not. I agree. I mean, Phil Parker has put his own signature on this. This is his defense. And yes, I mean, he was with Norm forever. When they were at Michigan State, he played for Norm when, when Norm was the D.C. there, uh, defensive backs coach under Norm at Iowa. But this is Phil Parker's defense. And the guy is, I, I think, highly underrated um, on the national scene. And I think it was Rob who tweeted out at some point, and I'm sorry if it was someone else, that you know, I, most of – Epinesa had like four sacks. You know, he kind of went like Drew Ott spring game 2015, if you will, something like that. Uh, if it was 20, I think it was 2015, but uh, maybe it was 2016. But he no, it was nearly went 12 and 0. Yeah, 2015. It was, it was it was the televised kids' day. You and I watched the video, then did our podcast, and pissed ourselves. Okay, and and then they went 12 and 0. Yes, right, because you can always figure out what they're going to do. Um, <laughs> you know, he said that a lot of his sacks came against Alaric Jackson. And that's an NFL left tackle right there. Maybe a first sure. rounder. Sure. But but holding up against the run, maybe not as – it's certainly not as elite as his pass rushing skills, which is what you just talked about. So that's the next test for, uh, for Epinesa is, is, is he going to be able to hold up against the run? Is he going to be able to be disciplined enough against the run? Is he going to set the edge in the containment philosophy? which he still struggled at last year. And that's no knock on him. Most young players do it. 
he's been at Iowa for two years. Let's not forget that. So if he can do, if, you know, if he can be above average against the run and he's all American against the pass, that's not bad, especially if they get some, some action um, from the inside. That's kind of the general theme of things. Uh, you know, the, the running backs aren't, you, you know, you're not really going to get a true look at the running backs and things like this. Sometimes they don't even tackle to the whistle. They hold them up. Um, you know, not really going to get a great look at the quarterback. I mean, Nate Stanley, we, we know who and what he is. We're just looking for live action to see if he's going to be consistent and making the makeables and give that percentage up to about 64% from his 58 and 59 that he's had his other two years as a starter. There was one other, um, well, there, there's another aspect that, that you wanted to talk about that you had tweeted out over the weekend. So let's, let's kind of take a step back here. And, you know, I'm, I'm continually updating my, my team total talent ratings, mm-hmm. my Power 5 breakdown as we go through all these fall camps. There's attrition news every single day, transfer portal news, injuries every single day. Right. And I'm kind of figuring out why when I've ever – that over the years, I've always gotten better as the season has wore on. And I've – I, I tried to think the last couple of years, you know, I do all this homework every year on this preview. And then the first couple of weeks of the season are always when my picks are the weakest. Why is that? Well, I've, I've realized that it's because I do all this work on this preview. It ends in the middle of July. And then I really just wait until the season starts. You know what I'm saying? I'm not constantly updating my information. And then once the season starts and I get three or four games of, inf- of data updated, then I really start to take off when we get into October and through the end of the year. So this year, I've been keeping a lot of these things updated. And right now, as it stands, Iowa um, is, is slightly more talented than Wisconsin was last year, uh, which in the, in the, this is the fourth season I've done these talent ratings for the total power rating. That was the highest score a Big Ten West team has had, was Wisconsin had a year ago. I was about three or four points ahead of that in terms of their total depth. Let's assume... Uh, Oliver Martin is given his waiver. So you would add four more points to that. That's a big assumption. That's a big assumption, but just for the sake of this argument, we'll do it. Okay. And then that would, that would put Iowa, I think, third now. I think they're right behind Michigan State or tied with Penn State. Those three teams are kind of bunched for the third most talented roster in the conference, well behind Michigan and Ohio State. But that would put Iowa probably clearly third by itself. So – They'd be a little bit more talented overall than Wisconsin. The Power 5 breakdown with my Big Ten West is I continue to update these with attrition and injuries. Overall, this division is still just absolutely razor-thin type. Seven of the last 10 years. So with all of that in mind, let's, let's, let's now transition to this statistic. Seven of the last 10 years, Iowa has won seven to nine games. Three seasons were the outlier. One year they won 12. That was 2015. One year they won 11. That was the, uh, the team that uh, won the Orange Bowl over, over Georgia Tech, so 2009, the first year of this 10 years. And then the tw- I think it was a 2012 team that went 4-8, and eight, correct? Okay? Mm. So those are your three outliers. The other seven teams have all kind of been the same team. You know, one year the passing game might be a little better than the running game. One year the defense might be a little bit better. One year, the place kicking might be better than the punting. But holistically, those other seven teams have all been the same. So we kind of know what Iowa football is here in this, in this last, in this final stanza of the Ferentz era. So my big picture question for you with that in mind is this. 
given everything that, that you, we just discussed from the first real glimpse we've had of this team since it ended the season uh, in the bowl game uh, down in Tampa against uh, Mississippi State, is there anything that you find that is, an out, that is an outlier that is either A, a cause for concern, that this could be a team that falls below that seven to nine win range that this team, this program seems to kind of be in cruise control and that's kind of their, their, their cruise altitude is that win range or B an outlier that goes the other way that makes you think that this is a, an upward outlier trajectory season. Do you see anything that tells you it's, it could be one or the other, or do you think we're, we're pretty much at your typical cruising speed? I think we're at typical cruising speed. Because the outliers for excellence, I, I just I just got home from Cincinnati today, flew back. I, I flew out there, gave a presentation to uh, a few hundred propane dealers, and I talk about fundamentals versus geopolitical unrest and risks in the energy market. I'm a fundamentalist, and the only case I could make right now for uh, a, a bullish scenario for energy values are hypothetical geopolitical military involvement with Iran mm-hmm. or with Russia or China. But those are things that you can't predict those things. Economic right. forces can't control, can't predict. Right, right. outside of your sphere of influence. Yeah, right. th- these are like Ayatollahs getting a wild hair up there, you know what. Right. You know, so you, you can't predict things like that. So the, everything's fundamentally bullish, fundamentally bullish, and then the outliers to the upside are pure emotional outliers. When I look at Iowa, when I look at the outliers to the upside, okay, uh, the guards are going to be really good, and Linderbaum's going to be solid at center, and Iowa's receivers are going to be on par with the 2010 McNutt DJK unit or the 2002 C.J. Jones, Mo Brown unit, um, or Ed Hinkle and Clinton Solomon in 2004. Now, there's 20 years of history here. I just gave you three. That's their three. All right? That's their three years. Obviously, McNutt in 2011 was a one-man wrecking crew. But for all those things to hit in the affirmative on the offense – that to me is placed in a lot of chips on low odds historically. Doesn't mean it can't happen, but I don't know that I'd wager on it. And then an outlier cause for concern to the downside is to me, there's some untested players in the secondary. You lost your four starters along the defensive line from last year's defense. That was one of the five best of the Ferentz era statistically. Yes. AJ Epines is a starter. So, you know, hypothetically you could say, okay, but you still lost three. And what are the answers to the questions on the interior of that defensive line? Because if those aren't answered in the affirmative, A.J. Epinesa can be all beast. But if he doesn't have any help in the two-gap spot for the tackle, occupying two guys and being a force of disruption on the interior, A.J. is going to get too much attention to the outside to be much of an impact in the running game. So I, that's why I fall as the fundamentalist looking at things from a – most likely point of view and not taking a cop out. This is after going through the analysis. To me, the safest play or the most likely play is somewhere in that seven to nine win range with 
the ultimate trump card for that prediction being the road schedule. Mm -hmm. The road schedule actually trumps my concerns in those other areas that I mentioned. It's the road schedule. You know, the, it's the economy, stupid. It's the road schedule, stupid. That is something that is very, very challenging. And it's hard for me to believe they're going to go through that thing at four and one. Or maybe even three and two. If they're two and three, that's not horrible, considering that nearly all five of those teams are ranked in the preseason. The only one not ranked right. in the preseason coaches pool is what, Northwestern? Mm -hmm. They're 26th, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about them having their best front seven uh, that you've seen them have under Pat Fitzgerald and a five-star transfer quarterback that we don't know a lot about, but he's still a five-star transfer quarterback. It's the most talented, raw, talented quarterback that they've had maybe ever. A guy, the services who invite all these guys to their camps, evaluate them all together, one on, you know, going up against each other. And they rated him higher than Tua Tagovailoa coming out of high school, Hunter Johnson. Exactly. So all that taken into consideration, if this team finishes nine and three this year, um, and 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 say that they go unbeaten in the non-conference and they're six and three in the West, six and three is probably going to get a share of the West, at least. Or they're nine and three, they lose at Iowa State, and they go seven and two in the Big Ten West. They're winning the Big Ten West at seven and two. I agree. I agree. So to me, a nine this year is on par with the 10 or 11 or the 12s that they've had in the past, given adjusting for difficulty in that schedule, because nine, nine wins is probably going to wind up getting you a share of the Big Ten championship, the Big Ten West championship. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, that was very well stated. You know, to me, going undefeated, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the winningest team of all time. We've had just, just thought I'd throw that out there, y'all. Yeah, but 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 so we know a thing or two about winning. We've had two undefeated seasons in like the last sixty years, yeah. regular seasons. It ain't easy to do. So I don't ever. You're never going to hear me poo-pooing Iowa going twelve and zero against their schedule in 2015 because in this era of college football, as as deep as the Big Ten is now. Um, and you're still talking about what is a, it's a high level developmental program, but it's still a developmental program. It's still a program that is, what is that? What do we mean by that? You're probably a couple of key injuries away from fighting for bowl eligibility. That's what we mean by that. Your depth isn't typically where the elite programs are and 12 and 0 is 12 and 0. So I wouldn't go so far as to say going nine and three against this schedule would be like the 2015 team. But I would say it's 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 probably like going maybe eleven and one, you know. I I I think I I keep coming back to that, and I've been coming back to that since we started looking at this season in January, because when I when I listen to you do all the rest of the breakdowns, everything is is symmetrical. All right, so you know I completely trust Howe's analysis. He's earned my trust over the years. So when I hear him ballyhooing the receivers, I believe it. But it's mitigated by the fact that. Well, you know, the tight end is a landmark position in this offense. And we all agree, based on history and tradition, they're going to have a good one. But nobody thinks Tony Moyaki's coming out of there. Nobody, nobody thinks TJ Hawkinson or Noah Fant's coming out of there. So, you know, if you're, or if you're going to have a typical Iowa tight end as opposed to a special one, they're going to need those receivers to pick up the slack. So that kind of mitigates that. Uh, everybody loves the guys coming off the edge with Epinesa especially and Golston on the other side. But then there's the question of, 
you know, the guys they lost in the interior, can they hand up at the point of attack? So there's a, there's kind of a, um, you know, a, a, a give and take there. That is typical for a program like Iowa to have that. You know, you're going to have those years maybe where all the stars align and a star or a proven player is back at every position group, but you're going to typically have those give and, gives and takes. So what I hear all of that is it kind of adds up to me as, you know, it's a typical team and therefore the outlier then becomes the schedule. Now we get into the season, like Wisconsin right now, one of their insiders is reporting that Graham Mertz, their prized freshman quarterback, he's the highest rated quarterback recruit the school has ever signed. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and he was in early in the spring. And, you know, you and I talked in the Bigger Ten podcast coming out of Big Ten media days, and it sure sounded to us like Paul Chris was trying to talk himself into starting that young man, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're halfway through fall camp right now, and that guy and, and their Wisconsin insider it was on Twitter today saying Graham Mertz is running the 13th. And he fell way behind when they, you know, the, if people don't know how camp usually lays out, the offensively, the first third or so of fall camp is what's called the installation phase. And this is where they're finishing the install of the offense that they began in the spring. And the reason they, and they have to restart a lot of things. Why? Because you have freshmen and stuff and guys who come in in the, in the fall that weren't there in the spring or were veterans that were injured or what have you. So it's not a, this is almost remedial camp. And for, and for Graham Mertz, he's done a lot of this stuff twice now. Right. And so the fact that a guy that was in there in the spring and went through the install phase for 15 spring practices and then fell behind in the first third of camp is not a good sign for his playing uh, time this season. So if it's, you know, if, if they don't have, if that kid's not ready to be a playmaker for them and, and you kind of have, you know, a, a really pedestrian, even by Wisconsin standards quarterback, you know, um, you, if, if, you know, Brock Purdy blows out a knee week one, but just like you said in your present, these are things that just like you said in your presentation with your day job, these are things beyond Iowa's control. All right. So now when we get into October, could this road schedule, particularly after you get by Ann Arbor, could it could could injuries and in because all those other teams, those teams look like tough road games right now. But outside of Michigan, they're all developmental programs too. Right. Northwestern is, Purdue is, Minnesota is. Nebraska may not be in a few years, but right now they still are. So those programs are, are like Iowa, like one injury away from, are they going to go to a bowl game to, are they going to be in Indianapolis? So in October, we might think differently about that road schedule after the Michigan game than we do right now. But we can't control any of that, like you were saying in your presentation. So when you look at the stuff that we know now that we can control, in terms of pure personnel, this looks like a, a slightly deeper overall, but less proven in certain areas version of the same Iowa team we usually see, which means, you know, when you take the more depth and you, and you symmetrically uh, align it with the lack of experience in a couple of key places, those, th- those things cancel out, just like the lack of experience cancels out the depth, the depth cancels out the lack of experience. So then what is the lone outlier then here? In my view, it's the road schedule. That's the lone outlier. Indeed. And I think that's a good place to stop for this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.